The book of James has a beleaguered history. In the 16th century, the Protestant reformer Martin Luther made reference to it as an epistle of straw. And what he was meaning to, to imply with that is that there is nothing of substance there that fits with his understanding of how we are saved by grace. He looked and looked at this epistle, seeking to find something in it to its credit, but finally came to the conclusion it should not be in the Bible. Isn't that incredible to think about? That Martin Luther said that the epistle of James should not be in the Bible. His struggle was a struggle that you and I can barely comprehend. But he was so filled with a sense of the Apostle Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 2, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And his concern, which had been pricked by the equation of works righteousness into which the church had strayed. It made it appear that we could buy our way into God's grace. And Martin Luther wanted to have nothing to do with that. And you and I are evidence that that, that message has been sustained for these centuries now since Martin Luther voiced his concern that we too believe that we are freely saved by God's mercy and grace, not by something that we can do. However, in regard to the book of James, I must say, I'm glad that the baby wasn't thrown out with the bathwater. Aren't you glad that this little epistle is still in this precious assembly of books. We share together in this letter of profound significance, the reminder that if we are to put our faith into action, that is when we begin to be the servants of the Most High. And in fact, if we do not put our faith into action, do we have faith at all? James was asking that question. In fact, he was forcing the answer. So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Unless any of you here have any question about it. In fact, in our membership vows, we have pledged ourselves to uphold the church through our prayers, our presence, our gifts, and that important word, our service. And next week at the day of Pentecost, we will consider our witness as well. But today, focusing and thinking with all of our might about the work of service as being integral to our calling in Christ. This is the task that is before us. 
It is a call to put our faith into action. One of the sayings I treasure, uh, which is attributed to John Wesley, is, well, let's read this. Let's speak this aloud together. Why don't we do that? Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Isn't that a great statement? Did you hear me say one of my favorite statements attributed to John Wesley? And the reason I put it that way is because there is no record that he ever wrote this in a journal or in a sermon. There is no record of anyone sitting in his presence that they ever heard John Wesley speak these words. How in the world then could it have been connected with him? I'll let you do some more research with that. What I have a question about today for you is this. Is not this the very epitome of John Wesley's life lived out on this earth? This one who was driven with such passion for sharing the message of Jesus Christ for evangelizing the world, for caring for the poor. Is this not who he was? If you're searching for an authentic quote, let me share this one with you, which was written in 1939, and not 1939, 1739. <laughs> I gave him a couple of hundred years there. 1739, he would have been 36 years old. And John Wesley wrote these words, the gospel of Christ knows of no religion but social. No holiness but social holiness. Now I'm, I'm quoting this verbatim. Faith working by love is the length and breadth and depth and height of Christian perfection. The story goes that Wesley, when he came back to his home in England, he was completely dejected. He had felt an utter failure coming here to these shores of Georgia and thinking that he would serve as the chaplain of Savannah, but his main calling being to share the message with those Native Americans that were here in this place. He ran into all kinds of obstacles, first of language, but then even greater of culture. Even when they were able to get through the semantics of what Christianity was, there was this utter divide that he found that he could not cross. And there, amidst other difficulties of relationship in Savannah, he determined he, he wanted to go home. He didn't want to stay here. And so he hopped a boat back to England. And when he was there, he had not been back very long and he went to a meeting 
uh, fellow Christians. And there in that meeting, he heard the reading of Martin Luther's commentary, his, his, his preface to the book of Romans being read. And in the midst of that, he said in his journal, he felt his heart strangely warm. Now this was in the year 1738. Immediately following that, there was a fire that was at work within his life that set him on a road to meet with other Christians. The Fetters Lane Society became a group with which he connected every week they would meet together for prayer and for consultation and encouragement and challenge, which is a part of the Christian faith. Within the next year, there were squabbles that broke out in that group because of differing understandings about Christianity and how it should be lived out. And so Wesley found his way into another group he was being popularized by those that knew him and was said to have gathered up to seven or 8,000 people in the city of London who loved to hear him preach. They didn't have a building. And so there at the beginning of his ministry, he saw an abandoned building. It actually was a cannon factory, a foundry. And so he dug into his own pockets and asked those that were near him to do the same. And they purchased the building. When they moved into the building, immediately they had to do some repair work, some renovation in order to make it inhabitable. But his one purpose in doing this was to utilize that building to its utmost for the care of the poor. Oh, they would have their meetings and he certainly would place before those that gathered the call of Christ in the lives of those that would come and see the calling of God to make themselves a service to all humanity. There in that place, they came up with the idea of giving small loans. Uh, you may have heard uh, recently of micro loans that are a part of some organizations, especially in third world countries, giving people uh, a hand up rather than just simply a hand out, giving people the opportunity to change their lives. 250 small loans given in that first year through that Methodist society that became known as the Foundry. On Fridays, they would throw open the doors to the church and welcome in the poor that couldn't afford medical care in any other way. And they would provide basic care within that structure. It was amazing what they had on their mind. They leased two buildings in order to care for widows who had young children still living at home. Those that had not the time or the way to make their means for caring for the family. These early Methodists cared for these in the streets of London. And starting a school was on his mind. For those children that were there in the streets of London by the dozens, 
And he gathered them in. And they began instruction there in the foundry. It was incredible what he was able to do in such a short period of time. Not simply because he was trying to be John Wesley, but because he was seeking to be the very essence of Jesus Christ in that poor community of London. You remember Jesus, as Matthew remembers, was reflecting on the most important of the commandments. And he said that the most important commandment, the first above anything else, is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, everything that you are. You shall love the Lord your God. But there is another that is exactly like the first. In fact, it is the fulfillment of the first that you shall and I bet you can tell me this. I'm not telling you anything new. You tell me what Jesus said. Not everybody said that. Okay. I want to hear you say it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. Whisper it with me. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now shout it at me. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is incredibly incredibly important it is at the center of our faith it is who we are called to be not only as Methodists this is who we are called to be as Christians as followers of the Lord who seeks to embed this within us I'm fascinated with the complexities of a Swiss army knife I carry and have carried for ages a pocket knife, but not one so hefty as this. But a Swiss Army knife, have you ever noticed that it not only has blades, but it has scissors and it has pliers and it has a bottle opener and it has a can opener and it has screwdrivers, both flathead and Phillips. And it has a saw can you imagine that? A saw and a corkscrew there and a toothpick. <laughs> What's not to love? It means business. This knife means business. It was designed to be put to work. It was meant in its very essence to do things, not just to sit there resting in the pocket of some soul who wants the pride of carrying a Swiss army knife. It was meant to do the work that it was designed to do. James in his epistle is making this point. Faith by itself, if it has no works is dead. You might as well not have it. If you're not using it, if you're not putting it to work, you might as well not have it. This is not some addendum to who we are as Christians. This is not some option that we have. This is the greatest misunderstanding of Martin Luther. This is not some some addendum to who we are. This is the essence of who we are called to be. In fact, in James, uh, the entirety of the, the epistle 
has these reminders. But in the first chapter, before that passage that was read for us this morning, there are these words, but be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. Hmm. I have used the story so many times I cannot even keep up with it, but it's one of my favorite stories, and so here I'll bore you again with it. Barbara Brown Taylor, this Episcopal priest, was before her congregation and preaching her heart out one day about the importance of being involved in mission work, and at the end of the service she was standing out to greet the congregation as they filed out the door, and one man came to her and he said, I got it. She said, that's good. Then he said, no, I really got it. In fact, tomorrow morning I'm going to go in and I am going to quit my job and I am going into the mission field. And she looked with disbelief at what he was saying and her response was, get a grip, man. It was just a sermon. <laughs> what do we expect God to do in us? You and I... You and I, even myself, I look with reservation about what God might be doing, but who knows what the Spirit might be whispering in your ear, right now, in your ear alone, right now, asking you, asking you to do something that He needs you to do in order that your faith might be real and that someone might receive the care that is needed. Back in the 1980s, when AIDS was the virus, not COVID, I heard of a situation in an Atlanta hospital in which there was an individual who was dying of AIDS. And so few people entered that room because of the fear of getting that illness. The person was not connected with any church, but a pastor was called. And the pastor who came to make the visit, as the story goes, he came to the room, but he did not enter the room. With the door open, he shouted his prayer to the man who lay there on that bed dying word of that circulated word gets around about us I know that word circulated and it got to another pastor who when she heard the situation she immediately jumped in her car and came to that hospital and asked and found out where the room was she went into the room she went to the man, lifted his head, and cradled him in an embrace, sang to her, sang to him, and read scripture to him, and stayed with him to that death which was quickly approaching. Now, if Jesus was telling this story, he would say, which one was the good neighbor? And you know the answer to that. So we need to give this some thought. 
What if? What if we really put our faith into action? What would that truly look like? What if we tithed our time rather than just our finances? Now I'm messing with you, okay? When we talk about a tithe, we're talking about 10%. Let's just make it a little easier than that, okay? Let me just say, what if, what if we, what if we tithe at the 2.5% level, not on every hour of the day, but just on the equivalent of a working year, okay? Now, I did the mathematics on this, and that comes out to 52 hours, okay? Just over one working week at a 2.5% level of time. What if we made the decision to give that amount of time to God alone to use for His mission work? Now, is this crucial to our salvation? Some of you may be saying to yourself, I... I'm saved by grace. Is this crucial to our salvation? Well, James would say so. If you say you have faith but do not have works, can faith save you? That's an in-the-face question, isn't it? Pippin Park United Methodist Church has been known for decades as a mission church, sending teams stateside and international to care for those in need, working within the local community to care for those who are in need. As we approach the 65th anniversary of our founding, and that's where we are right now, 65 years since this congregation came to be. As we approach that 65th anniversary, what if, what if we truly embraced once again this part of our calling in Christ? Where would this renewed commitment to put faith into action, where might it take us? Would you stand as you're able as we conclude with all three verses of Be Thou My Vision? <clears throat> 